So you have to be disciplined in your practice. Again, it's just like there's there's no excuse for not working hard. And talent, you have to have it. If you're talented and you work hard, obviously that's that's what we're truly looking for. <laughs> it's time for baseball from Hamburg, Germany. This is the Alp Academy podcast, and these are your hosts, David and Martin. Moin Moin und herzlich willkommen zur zweiten Folge des äh, Podcasts von der Elbakademie hier in Hamburg. Äh, wieder mit dabei ist mein Partner und Co-Trainer Martin Schulze. Moin Martin. Ja, hey David, ey, heute äh, unsere zweite Episode. Äh, da freue ich mich besonders drauf, weil wir einen, einen tollen Gast haben, der äh, jetzt in San Francisco ist. Und ähm, vor vielen, vielen Jahren war ich selber in San Francisco und wir waren sozusagen Nachbarn. Ähm, außer, dass wir natürlich 12, 13 Jahre ähm, dazwischen liegen haben. Heute haben wir Matt Keplinger als Gast. Ähm, ich fange einfach mal auf, mit seiner Geschichte vorne an. Von 2006 bis 2011 war Matt Pitcher bei der University of Nevada. Ähm, hat da, äh, war ein Three-Time Western Athletic Conference All Academic Team und ähm, hat dort eben offensichtlich selber gespielt. Und dann äh, 2013 hat er angefangen, als Coach zu arbeiten. Da hat er bis 2019 an dem San Joaquin Delta College in Stockton, California ähm, gearbeitet. Und da war er Assistant und eben Pitching Coach. Und in den sieben Jahren, in denen er dort Pitching Coach war, hat die Mannschaft, die Mustangs, ähm, siebenmal in Folge die Elite Eight äh, erreicht. Fünfmal waren sie in den Final Fours und einmal haben sie die State Championship nämlich in 2018 gewonnen. Und während seiner Zeit hat er seinen Pitching-Staff da wirklich zu einem Powerhouse äh, ausgebaut. Ähm, das sieht man an ein paar Stärken. Jetzt muss ich einmal Luft holen, weil das so viel ist. Der hat 28 Pitcher ähm, weitergebracht zu NCAA Division I Colleges. Er hat neun MLB-Draft-Picks produziert, vier All-Americans, Drei Big Eight Conference, Conference Pitchers of the Year, zwei California State Pitchers of the Year und zu drei Zeitpunkten in seiner Zeit ähm, am Delta College ähm, war die Mannschaft, war, das, war der Pitching Staff in Strikeouts in ganz Kalifornien äh, ganz vorne, also hat die, die Statistiken angeführt und in 2015 haben sie sogar äh, den, den Start California in ERA angeführt. Außerdem war er Strength and Conditioning Coach und Recruiting Coordinator und er war Adjunct Professor an dem College für Kinesiologie und Physical Education. Und nun, seit letztem Sommer, ähm, ist er eben Pitching Coach bei der University of San Francisco. Und eine Sache haben wir ausgelassen, vielleicht habt ihr es gemerkt, wir haben die Zeit zwischen 2011 und 2013 nicht erwähnt, denn da war er ja in Deutschland und sogar in Doren. David, hast du da ihn dort getroffen oder woher kennst du Matt? 2012 war das Jahr, wo ich nicht bei Doren gespielt habe. 2011 war das letzte Jahr. Ich bin dann 2012 nach Hannover gegangen. Aber durch die Kumpels, die ich da noch hatte, habe ich ihn natürlich kennengelernt. Und wir waren auch schnell auf einer Wellenlänge. Und 2018, und jetzt ist mir gerade das aufgefallen, als du das erzählt hast, also in dem Jahr, wo sie die Meisterschaft geholt haben, ja. habe ich ihn besucht. Und seitdem sind wir oft im Austausch gewesen. Und wie du ja auch schon ein bisschen weißt, haben wir uns das ein oder andere von seinem Programm in unser Programm übernommen. Und deswegen würde ich sagen, starten wir direkt mit dem Interview. Genau. Dieser Podcast wird präsentiert von Grünhöker, euer Fachgeschäft für frisches Obst und Gemüse. Esst auch ihr so frisch und gesund wie die Profis von morgen. Grünhöker, Weizstraße 17 in Hamburg-Othmarschen. Ja, yeah, we are here with our episode number two. And today we do everything in English. English because we got Matt Keplinger here. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. And also Martin is on the line here. Yeah, hey, Matt, uh, it's great to have you here today. Um, you know, we already introduced you a little bit earlier, um, and we listed uh, your long list of achievements and, and accomplishments, which was uh, pretty amazing, um, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, welcome. Thank you, thank you. So before we get started with the sports stuff, you know, I used to live in San Francisco. Um, I went to college uh, south of San Francisco. And actually, we were kind of neighbors because I lived on Golden Gate Avenue, just like two, three blocks away from USF. 
Oh wow! It's a it's such a cool uh, neighborhood. I love it up there. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Before we start uh, talking about your coaching career, um, we have to tell the listeners why we know each other. Of course. And uh, yeah, you spent one year in Germany, right? I did. I did a, a wonderful year with the Doran Wild Farmers. Yeah, and um, obviously we have a question coming in from one of your old teammates. Okay. Hey, Matt. This is Hobie. Greetings from Bone City. What's yeah, going this on? This is one question that is bothering me for the last eight years. So can you maybe let us know um, what was going through your mind when our first baseman dropped the pop-up against Paderborn in the ninth inning while you threw a shutout? <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> oh man, that one still haunts me from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was a fun one. That was a, a good game. I thought we were kind of turning the corner as a team right there. That would have been a been a huge win. But uh, you know, still still looking back on it now, it's it's more laughs than anything. So um, you know, memories for sure. But uh, that was uh, that one still haunts me. Uh, I believe that when I was coaching uh, the White Farmers and we were playing against Paderborn, we were really leading in the eighth or ninth inning, and it was like, you can see that we're gonna win the game. There were a lot of guys coming up, dude. You're not gonna change the first baseman. Just don't do it. Just let everybody at their place be comfortable. We were at this spot already. I was like, all right, <laughs> take it down, you guys. And then I heard about the story. Yeah. But um, I think besides that, or I mean, that also made you a great time in Germany. I think you really loved it here in Germany as far as, as I know, as I remember when we were talking oh, about ab it. Ab absolutely. Um, it's, it's honestly to this day uh, the best experience of my life. Um, and now that I'm on a, in, a different, in a different coaching role right now, it's something that I encourage so many players to do if they have the opportunity to, to go overseas and play. It's, it's such a great experience to dive into another culture. Uh, but in regards to the game, like I think what, what I love the most about my time in Germany with the game is that it's, it's pure love. And it's, it's the game at its purest form. Everybody's doing it because they truly enjoy it. And it, it's all about growing the game. And you can see how much better the game has gotten over the last 10 years in Europe. And it, it's, it's phenomenal to watch. Um, so, and then on, on top of it, the, the farmers are, are, are a good time, man. Lots of, lots of great memories. <laughs> it's great. Um, okay. So, so let's get, let's get into uh, you and, and coaching. And um, okay. how did you get into coaching baseball? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny story. I, I didn't know what I, what I really wanted to do with my life, um, after I finished playing in college and then, um, obviously had the, the opportunity to, to come play in Germany. And then when I got back home, um, I, I did some job interviews with startup companies actually in San Francisco and the Bay area. And I, I left those interviews just going, man, like this is, this is not for me. I, I, you know, I, I got to do something else. And, um, I had a, a neighbor of mine, his name is Ed Sprague. And he was, he played in the big leagues with, uh, with the Blue Jays most notably. And he was the head coach at the university of Pacific, which is the division one program in Stockton. And, um, I reached out to him just out of curiosity of, of what it would take to, to start coaching. And I asked, I said, Hey, uh, if I wanted to coach, like what, what should I do? Do I start in the high school level and work my way up? And he said, no, it's, that's not really how it works. You have to, if you want to coach at the collegiate level, you have to get your foot in the door any way you can and just kind of wear it as a volunteer. Um, and he didn't have anything available at his program, but he had recommended um, Delta College, the junior college in Stockton. Mm. And he connected me with those guys. And I, uh, I reached out to their head coach and we met a few minutes before practice. And um, I, I never looked back, man. I, I basically lived on that campus for seven yeah. years and it was by far the best 
the best introduction to coaching I, I could have ever had. And um, the rest is kind of history, just how that all unfolded during my time there and to, to where I'm at now. And did you start out as a coach directly? And did you was it a paid position or? Um, so junior college in California is interesting. So we, we don't have scholarships. And the way you, you really get paid is by teaching. Um, wow. So what I did was um, my first couple years there, I, any job I could do, <laughs> I, I was I, I took advantage of. So um, what I decided to do was I went back to school and I got my master's degree in kinesiology. And um, I did that online. So 13 months accelerated program. And then while I was doing that, I was a substitute teacher in high school. And then at Delta, I was uh, our sports information director. So I did all the work on our websites, our media guides. Uh, I worked in the equipment room. I helped with the laundry. Honestly, anything I could do to, to kind of just get by. And then, um, which was great because it kept me on campus. Yeah. And um, once I once I completed my master's degree, I was able to teach classes there. Um, so I, again, it, it kept me on campus. I taught, I coached, and then the summer, I coached travel ball. Um, so it was it was a, a fun fun experience. I got to do a lot, which just helped me become more well rounded. Yeah. All the things you do to start coaching. <laughs> Interesting. <Absolutely. laughs> um, and, and so, and that was Delta, and then you moved uh, on to uh, USF. Yes, correct. That happened this summer. Um, I had had a couple opportunities to move on to the four-year level uh, in the past. Just wasn't necessarily the right fit, and a lot of them were to start out in the volunteer role, and I just I wasn't wasn't willing to do that at the time. Um, and, and thankfully I, I, you know, I, I bet on myself and there was an opportunity that presented itself and, um, got on campus and, and interviewed with those guys. And after the, after just being on campus there for a couple hours, I, I knew that's where I wanted to be. And, and thankfully they, they took a chance on me and, uh, it's, it's been outstanding. Uh, the university, our head coach, Nino Geritano, is unbelievable. Uh, the culture of the program, the the quality of the student athletes that we have, it's it, it's truly a great place to be. And they're going through a lot of changes in in terms of facilities and as as well right now, right? Um, well, the stadium got rebuilt uh, at the end of 2016, so it's still very new. It's about there's only been two full seasons on the right. on the fields. Yeah. Um, so the, the playing facility itself is in great condition, brand new, uh, but we're, we're still working to upgrade it. And, um, really what we need is an indoor facility and batting cages. So that, that's the next step. And we have a lot of that money already raised to, to build it. And now just as a, you know, typical San Francisco issues, it's more about the space yeah. where, where are we going to put it? Uh, true, and you do have a lot of programs that you need to fit onto the campus, in uh, others other sports yes. as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Um, so now you are at USF. What does a regular workday for a coach like yourself uh, look like? Um, well, it depends. You know, if we're in the fall, if we're in the spring or the summer, you know, all very different. Um, so the the years kind of broken down into into semesters. Uh, but on a typical day, I, I'm usually in the office anywhere between 7 a.m. and 8 a.m. And then most of our work, office work gets done, like, you know, in terms of administrative work, uh, a lot of recruiting, um, just planning, meetings all get done in that morning, uh, morning hours up until about noon. Um, try to take an hour in there for myself to, to go work out. The team usually lifts between, we have three lifting groups, one at 7 a.m. and then a group at 12 and one. So I'll try to get in there and lift with our guys. And then we head out to practice. Um, practice is in the afternoon. Um, and then after practice, um, kind of get back into the office and, and work there. Um, so they're long days, you know, typically, uh, 
typically I, I'll, I'll get, like I said, I get in between seven and eight and then I usually leave between right. seven and eight. Um, so that, that, that's a very typical day, especially in the fall, you know, and then we'll have recruits on campus during that time in the spring, not as much time in the office because we're either out recruiting or we're playing. Um, but there's, there's definitely not much downtime. I mean, it's, uh, it's typically seven day a week job. So you gotta, you gotta love it. There's no doubt about that. It's, it's, it's a grind, but it's beautiful. Do you guys work uh, work out and, and play on the weekends as well? Yes. Yeah, so, um, at the division one level, you play 56 regular season games and, uh, you, you have a three game series on the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So the way the, the way the spring is mapped out, like, let's say, for example, we're on the road, um, which we were for the first part of the season here you travel on Thursday so you either you're either on a bus or you fly and you'll go you, you'll depart on Thursday then you'll practice at that opponent's facility and then on Friday we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be in the hotel we'll go out and we'll have a team breakfast a team lift then we do study hall as a team and then we relax for a little bit and then go hmm. and we play play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then Sunday, when the game's over, we get back on the bus or on the plane and we go home. And then Monday is our off day. The guys will still lift and we'll keep the facility open, but that's our day as a coaching staff that we just kind of map out the rest mm -hmm. of the week. And the guys, a lot of guys like that, they'll load up on their class schedule that yeah. day take the bulk of their classes and really focus on their academics on Monday. On Tuesday, we play. We'll play somebody fairly local. Like our last game we played was against Sac State. Sac is for Sacramento, right? Sacramento State, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So you'll play like fairly close regional teams in the midweek. Um, so Tuesday, sometimes you'll play on a Wednesday. Uh, but you usually have one midweek game. And then Wednesday would be a light practice. And then Thursday, you're right back to where we were. So the, the weeks go fast. Yeah, quite interesting. Yeah, and it's uh, very professional. If you, you have to keep in mind, we're talking about college here. It's crazy, in, in my opinion. I was listening to one of your interviews the other day, and uh, we also talked about it two years ago, I think. Um, you mentioned a lot of times that you uh, want to outwork every other team. Um, can you tell us a little bit more what you, what's behind outwork? What 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 does it mean for you that you outwork other teams? Because, as we all know, the other coaches they don't sleep. I mean, they're also working hard. But uh, yeah, tell us tell us a little bit about it, please. I mean, uh, for me, it's it's that's about culture in your program. It's it's no shortcuts for anybody in the program. Um, and obviously like I have to be an example of that. So that, that's why I put in the hours that I do. Um, and just, it's about always being available to your players. And for me, that was the, the first meeting that I had with our pitching staff at USF was that we have to be the hardest working pitching staff in America. And we looked at last year's numbers we set goals for what we wanted to accomplish this year. And really it just, it, it again, it comes down to culture. And, and again, like your energy and your attitude is contagious. So I try to roll out as much information as I can early on and just in regards to how we are going to work, the tools that we have, just installing my program and then giving the kids the power to go do it and and holding each other accountable to that work so it's again it's 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 more culture based than anything and getting everybody to buy into the mindset of working and then once you start to see the results and everybody gets better once that internal competition amongst your team is better than the competition that you're going to play that's when it gets fun man and then that's that's really what we did at delta as well it's all about the internal competition And that's when you, when you can outwork each other and practice every day and really push the boundaries and the limits to what you're capable of, 
that's when you start to see velocities increase and a lot of success on the fields. Yeah. So would you also say that, um, yeah, I, I mentioned that the other day, would you also say that heart is a little bit more important than talent at, at some point at, at, at maybe at your stage already that a hardworking guy is, can always be talent that you really have to work hard, especially at this level. Um, I mean, it's, you need both. There's no doubt about that. That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially the, the, the higher level you go, like there, there has to be talent. Yeah. Now, obviously hard work beats talent when talent That's doesn't work hard. So they, they go hand in hands. I mean, if you don't work hard, that's like to one of your questions, like <laughs> that's how you're going to, that's, that's the easiest way to not play. Yeah. And eventually it's, it's going to catch up to you. And that's really where the idea of there's, there's no shortcuts at, at anything that we do in life. Um, so really Like we're, we're trying to establish good work habits that are going to make you successful for life after baseball. So you have to be disciplined in your practice. And again, it's just like, there's, there's no excuse for not working hard. And again, like talent, you have to have it and it, it will, <laughs> that's when you, that's when the, If you're talented and you work hard, obviously that's that's what we're truly looking for. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, but of when it comes down to like your team, the less talent you have, then really what it comes down to is who's more disciplined, and then that that is part of that heart that you're you're bringing up. But the higher level that you play, it comes down to who makes the least amount of mistakes. Those that's how you win games is by knowing your role. So if you have a little bit more talent as a team, you can technically overcome a couple more mistakes than a team that doesn't have maybe as much talent. But for those teams that are just grinders, it's all about knowing your role, doing what the game asks you to do and making the least amount of mistakes possible. And that's, that's just being bought in and knowing what your role is on the team and, and being selfless versus selfish. Um, so there, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're definitely right. One more thing. I'm, I was wondering, you already mentioned the practice and everything, but um, can you maybe, yeah, once again, uh, explain us or yeah, let us look into the college and the, in the university. How does a practice week look like from, from Monday to Sunday with also having days off and maybe, have an active rest day and, and stuff like that. I think that's really interesting yeah, for us and everybody who's listening here. Yeah, yeah. So what I'll do is um, I'll take you through our fall. Mm -hmm. And then we already went through the spring a little bit. But the fall is definitely a little bit more rigorous in regards to practice because you're not playing games, right? So um, in the fall, once we settle in, so you're, you're limited to hours a week that you that you're, uh, can practice. So the first part of the fall, we're in our skill groups where you're only out there with four players at a time. And then we'll transition into team. So what we'll do is same thing is uh, we lift on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And then we condition on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. So uh, Monday – The guys lift in the morning or early afternoon. They're going to class either in the morning or in the evening. And that middle part of the day is designated for baseball. So what we'll do practice-wise, Monday through Thursday is practice. Typically, Monday is our off day. So we're trying to condition the players' minds and bodies for what it's going to be like in the spring. Um, so Monday would be that active rest day that you mentioned where you're focusing in the weight room. The field is open for you to go get any extra work in that you need. Um, and then on Tuesday, we have team practice. Um, and uh, we try to keep our practices as short and crisp as possible. And they, they move very fast. What uh, is uh, short and crisp? What, how many hours would you say is short and crisp for, for you? Two. Two? Okay. Yeah, typically yeah. two, sometimes more, right? So, like, as a, what we'll do is there'll be early work, 
So a lot of times pitchers like we'll come out a half an hour to 45 minutes before we start team practice, just so we can go through our arm care and our warm up routine, uh, just because it takes time. Or for example, maybe the, maybe the infielders will go out a little bit early and get some individual work with our head coach. And then we'll start team practice. So we, we try to keep that team, that team section blocked into about two to two and a half hours where uh, we'll the hitters will start out doing some base running, um, all four bases moving at once, and then we'll go into some sort of team defense, whether it be bunts, picks, um, and we'll have three mounds set up, the main diamonds, one in right field, one in center field. So we're getting in as many reps as possible, and then we're rotating, and then we'll go into the offensive segment of practice. So that's, that's how that works practice-wise. And then we'll scrimmage on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now, some of those are shorter scrimmages just because we don't – it takes time to build up our inning workload. And, again, it's fall, right? We're, we're preparing ourselves for 56-plus game season in the spring. And, and uh, Sorry, so it was a shorter scrimmage means – you start with a one-one count, or you just uh, less innings? innings. Le less innings. So okay, less innings. Okay. Yeah. So what we'll do is um, typically Friday would be our shortest scrimmage. Uh, maybe sometimes we'll only have uh, a three to four inning scrimmage on a Friday. Okay. And like let let's say for example we had a, a three inning scrimmage for Friday, mm -hmm. we would uh, put the scoreboard on and we would start in the seventh inning. Oh, okay. And play it. inning seven, eight, nine, and then just because it's there, it it helps create high leverage situations and puts a little bit more pressure on the guys. And then on Saturdays, Sundays, when we try to have longer scrimmages, um, and those will go anywhere from six to nine innings, just depending on on what phase we're in. Um, same thing, like so, if we have a six inning scrimmage, we'll start in the fourth okay. and play innings four through nine. But we'll go through full pregame routines. Uh, for let, let me back up for a second to Saturdays in the fall. Um, what we do on Saturdays is we do a beach workout. So we'll go to like Ocean Beach in San Francisco, and uh, at 6 a.m. and the guys will do a workout, and then they'll go to breakfast, and then at usually between eight and nine o'clock. We have a, uh, a culture meeting. So we have a director of player development and we run a meeting all on team culture, uh, mental game. And that's that's more player run than anything. It's kind of their hour to just get things squared away as a group. And then we'll go out and practice and we'll do a full pregame routine. So we'll take in and out full batting practice and then we go play. And then on Sunday, same thing. We just we, we go full pregame routine, then we play, and then we try to take that Monday off to simulate what it's going to be like in the spring season. Um, just another question, because we also scrimmage here at least once a week. I mean, you know, it's a little bit different here in Germany. But right. um, as a coach, I'm also wondering sometimes uh, how you guys handle it would be interesting. Um, for us, it's sometimes tough to put up the uh, game intensity the you really want to win um i mean obviously we also try to tell this the guys um but are you guys doing anything specific i don't know the losers have to clean the field or have to run poles or whatever it is or are you just done after the game kind of or is there any punishment or or whatever you call it after yeah the we, we we definitely try to put something on the line typically something's something more geared towards cleaning up the fields um, but also, you know, we try to create a competitive environment every day. I mean, if, if you're okay with losing, then you're at the wrong place. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you don't have enough pride in yourself and your team and just the fact that you're trying to win a job, I think that's really what drives these guys is that it's, it's so competitive every day where we're, everything's videotaped. All your stats are kept in the fall. So I think that's another way to maybe um, create some competition is just set up a video camera. That's, uh, yeah. that's true. Because it's, it can be that simple, right? <laughs> it's, it, 
you, yeah. you, you can't you that's can't true. lie on the video you know yeah. as they say the, the eye in the sky doesn't lie so that that helps create some accountability to where if you feel like you can just take that midweek scrimmage off well you can go show them what that looks like so on you, tape so you really yeah. don't have to go and talk to people to players and say hey you you need to pick it up you need to you know, work harder because you just create the environment where they will, or do you sometimes actually have to like talk to them? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's guys that need to be talked to just because it's what we're doing is very difficult, right? Um, we ask a lot out of our players just on a, on a daily basis. And on top yeah. of it, they're going to school. They, they want to have a social life. Guys are at different different levels of maturity. I think that's one interesting part about the Division One level is you have guys that are 18 years old that are true freshmen, and we had all the way up to a, a sixth-year senior, so somebody that was yeah. you know going on 24 years old. And then you have guys that have been in the program for going on four years, and they understand the expectations. And they're just at a different maturity level. So I think the biggest thing is knowing your audience. And you have to do a lot more coaching with the younger guys. And then you, you hope by the time the guys are juniors and seniors, they're able to to have uh, enough awareness of themselves and, and the expectations that they can help coach some of the younger guys as well. So, yeah, I mean, you, every now and then we all need a little kick in the butt um just uh just to get back on track and you know i think there's just a lot a lot that goes into it from uh just putting yourself in the shoes of of a of a 19 20 year old college kid who's who's trying to yeah, do that everything that's true and at the end of the day they have to want it if they don't well, of course if they yeah. don't want it they shouldn't be there and that, yeah. that gets exposed pretty early on um, I mean, hopefully you've done a good enough job in the recruiting process True. to get to know the kid and the family and, and know their makeup a little bit. And for us, like we, we, we're as transparent as possible. And they'll, the, if you come on an official visit, you know, you're, you're spending two days with right. us in the fall to really see what it's like and what the, what the expectations are, how hard we work, how much time we ask of you. Um, so you get a pretty good idea that yeah. if, if it's what you yeah, want to very do. Very interesting. Or not. Um, I want to get back to to training itself a little bit. Um, you talked about um, weightlifting. You guys lift a lot. Can you? And I'm sure you do different program in the fall compared to the spring. But can you like? Because for us, we're still in preparing for the season. So maybe we can stick right. with that. That would probably be your fall term, I assume. Um, what kind of Things, yeah. uh, drills, exercises do you do um, in, in weightlifting? Uh, well, so at Delta, I ran our strength and conditioning. So that's it's definitely a, a, a passion of mine. Um, at USF, I don't do that because we have mm. strength and conditioning coaches. Um, so it's been very interesting to see the difference in approach. And, man, I, I, I've learned so much from, from our strength coaches. At USF, we use a – a very, very interesting program. It's called Sparta, okay. Sparta Science. And um, what we'll do is every player, they we uh, they get tested every week. So what, what it is, it's a force plate. And we'll do a series of six jumps and planks on this, on this force plate. And it measures... Uh, three categories, their load, their drive, and explode. And really what it does is it, it highlights any right. deficiencies in the body. So your workouts are customized to really attack where you're weakest. So that part's been pretty cool. Um, but typically in the fall is when you really want to push yourself as hard as you can. Um, so you want to lift three to four days a week and try to have as many functional baseball yeah, yeah. movements in there as possible. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a big back squat, front squat, deadlift. And then you want to do variations off of that where you'd want to do um, as much single leg work as possible just because that's, that's typically the positions that we're going to be in 
as baseball players. So rear foot elevated squats, different types of lunges, both front and side. And then uh, a lot of back. Um, so, you know, lat pull downs, single arm rows. Um, and then in regards to bench, dumbbell bench for sure. So like a, a good way to break up your workouts is to do a uh, lower body back day, then an upper body, maybe core work day, and then take a Wednesday off. And then Thursday, legs and back, Friday, go back to that right. upper body focus. But mobility is one thing that I can't stress enough. And that's probably what I've learned the most here at USF is how important mobility is. So as much time as you can spend focusing on improving flexibility on top of strength, that's truly where all the magic happens. And um, yeah, sometimes the, the time is short here in Germany, or we don't have so many days with school and working, you know, it's a little bit different here. Would you, what would, if you, if you would have to decide, would you think is uh, lifting weights more important or working more on the flexibility during the season? Um, in season, you're going to be in a little bit of a maintenance mode to where hopefully all that work that you've done out of season is kind of prepared you. So it's, it's, that's a tough question because you need both. <laughs> that's what we're struggling with. But... <laughs> I mean, I, I think you can do a lot of work together where you're basically are, are pairing up your lifts. So like when the time is limited, You can do a lift that's focused on strength, and then you can do a movement to match that that's based on mobility. Um, so it's that that would be my suggestion is is try to kind of get the best of both worlds while you have the time that you do. But I know I know one thing that I really encourage guys to do um, is yoga, and that's that's something that you can always do on your own. And if, if you can mix in 30 minutes to an hour, a couple days a week, you're going to reap those benefits for a long period of time. So that's, that's something those guys can do at any time. I, I personally think it's important to focus in the weight room first. You want to build a baseline of strength and just get comfortable in the weight room and know how to move weight. And then from there, that's when you can focus on a little bit more of dynamic movements. But I, I really think that baseline of strength has to first be established before you can really yeah, go absolutely. any further. That is, that is actually something that we've been struggling. Well, not struggling, but it's just something we're dealing with. Um, so for you, when kids come out of high school, do they know how to lift? Or is that their first time? Most guys have had some experience in the weight room. Um, I just think yeah. it's so much more common now. And a lot of the kids have had personal trainers and, and things of that nature. So, but you, you get, you still get guys that haven't been in the weight room. Um, and again, like that's, that's where your strength coaches are. That, that's what right. they're paid for. That's, that's what they do. But yeah, it's, it's still something that's a struggle. But that's why yeah. they're in the program for three to four years. So year one is typically a, a developmental year when it's all said and done. Their bodies are maturing. They're again, they're in that transition of still kids yeah. uh, at 18 years old. And then they're around guys that have been in the program for a long time. So really what they learn how to do is how to fuel their body correctly, what food to put in it, how much rest you typically need your sleep patterns, your hydration, um, and then how to deal with that in the weight room on top of what we're asking you to do in the field. So year one, your body's really getting broken down before we can right. build it and back that's, up. So now you mentioned something interesting about the, um, the eating bit and, and, and the sleeping. Do you monitor that with your students? Yeah, so we have... Um, We have a, a, a sports nutritionist who works with all the players. And uh, what she'll do is she'll meet with all the freshmen in the dorms and take them through campus and show them what they should be eating, 
how to even cook little basic okay. meals in their dorm room. And then once you transition to living off campus and she'll take you into uh, a grocery store yes. and actually go yeah. shopping with I, you. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense, I guess. And, and yeah. then, um, but then we'll, we'll meet early on in the fall semester, just to, in, in regards to talking about our meal frequency, you know, you typically want to eat five, five times throughout the day, just what that's going to look like, what you need to be fueling your body with. But then, um, you know, everybody's in a different situation. Mm. Some guys need to lose weight. Some need to gain weight. Some need to maintain their weight. Um, so that's where you sit down with the nutritionist and, and really come up with a plan that's customized for yourself. And then our, our strength coaches tried to do a sleep survey this year where every day you had to put in, log your hours of sleep. Um, again, the goal is to get eight hours. Uh, sometimes it's possible, sometimes it's not, but that, that's the goal. Um, so that's just coming down to structure and discipline in your day. Um, what time are you waking up? What's your class schedule like? When you when are you going to go to study hall? When are you going to do your homework? When are you going to get into the training room? So, um, really, in the fall, that's what it's all about: is just learning our routines and our process to getting it so clear that you you can accomplish everything that we need to do to have our bodies perform at an optimal level. And like that, that's a big part of my job too, and and our entire coaching staff is is working with our players and being there for them, you know, and as coaches, the longer you do it, it's, it's pretty clear when there's kids that have a clear process mm -hmm. and, and kids that don't. Um, so you, you'll really focus on the guys that don't and you'll connect them with all the resources that we have on campus and anything that you can personally do yeah. to, to help get them on very, track. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, I would say let's go back on the field and um, talk a little bit. I know you're a big fan of the weighted ball program. Yeah. Um, so how do you manage in season the heavy ball routine? How is your throwing program also? Uh, in season, you said? In season, yeah. Um, well, again, it's, it's, it's individualized based on your role. Um, and we play a lot more games than, than you guys do, so it would be different. But um, basically, like in regards to weighted balls, I take a weightlifting approach to them. So by the time we get in season, it should be maintenance work. All of our heavy lifting, all of our heavy weighted ball program is going to really take place in the fall and the winter. Mm -hmm. And then in the spring, we're maintenance. So starters they'll have a, a full plyo day where they go through their full routine because they have seven days in between their starts. Now, as a reliever, you're in maintenance mode or what we call hybrid days where you're only going to do uh, anywhere from zero to three weighted ball exercises uh, on a daily basis. So, and again, it just depends when you throw. So if you're a reliever and you throw heavy on Saturday, then you're going to probably not throw on Sunday. So Monday, you come out on your own and get in some plyo work, but you're going to probably only do reverse throws, pivot picks, and roll-ins. And then Tuesday, potentially throw an inning in our midweek game. Um, so you really only have Mondays and Wednesdays to potentially get in some decent plyo work, maybe on a Thursday as a reliever. Um But again, by that point, your body's so accustomed to to just the routine where on game day, just part of your warm up, you're going to probably do your reverse throws and pivot picks and roll ins mm -hmm. to some degree. So again, it's it's maintenance mode, and at that point, it's a little bit more individualized, and it's structured around when you threw last in the games and when you might be throwing next, but. At that point, it's a little bit of feel, not only like it's feel from what the player's telling you and what you can see, but outside of being a starter that has seven days a week, it's, it's, it's going to fluctuate week to week. So obviously you coach at the um, college level now, but from which age would you recommend weighted balls? Um, 
So according to Driveline, they say 15 is is an acceptable age, kind of like that same time you get in the weight room. Basically, like if you're getting aggressive in the weight room, you can probably start getting a little bit more aggressive with weighted balls. But uh, I'd say probably 16, 17 years old would be ideal. But even if you don't start until college, I think that's fine. And um how often do you guys throw? Are you guys throwing flag rounds at all, like short ball grains, like uh, from from a smaller distance flag rounds? Uh, yeah, definitely. So every day in our catch play, when we get back to ninety feet, we throw change ups with our long toss rhythm, and then we come into sixty feet and do what's called grips and spins. Um, so that's your freedom time to to spin the baseball. Uh, try to develop a new pitch, try to perfect what you already throw. That's essentially a flat ground because you're getting back into your delivery. But I, I'm not – I don't like flat grounds as much as uh, what I call a short box. Um, so we'll do most of our work on the mound, okay. and we'll just bring the catcher up in front of the plate. Um, so rather than flat grounds, I prefer a short box. Just so we're comfortable throwing yes, off the surface sense. that we're going to work from. And if you would have to choose one system for arm care, uh, would it be bands, weighted balls, just uh, weights? Um, you see there, what would it be if you would have to choose one system for arm care? Why do I have to choose one? <laughs> to make it. Good make question. It. <laughs> I, think that's, I, I, I think that's kind of part of the myth there, man, is like yeah. it, it, it takes everything. It really does, and that's something I, I talk to all our recruits and all our, our players about is there's not one thing that's going to help your development. It, it honestly takes the full package of weight room, arm care, recovery, weighted balls, long toss. Like You, you have to have all of them. If I could only pick one, okay. I would probably pick yeah. the weight room. Grünhöker, Ihr Fachgeschäft für Obst, Gemüse, frische Säfte und Smoothies. Hamburgs beste Adresse für den probiotischen Kick. Ja, David, ähm, Weightroom, da haben wir ja im Winter jetzt auch mit der Akademie viel Wert drauf gelegt. Ähm, schon irre. Jetzt haben wir ähm, festgestellt, dass wir hier ziemlich viel Material schon haben und machen hier erstmal einen Cut ähm, und machen Teil 1 fertig. Irre Geschichte von Matt, äh, finde ich. Der ist so, wirklich so ein bisschen der American Dream ja, vom, vom Laundry Room Man zum Assistant Pitching Coach und jetzt ist er ähm, Pitching Coach äh, bei USF. Ja, also ähm, wie gesagt, ich hatte ja schon mal gesagt, dass Matt da echt einen coolen Lebenslauf hat und ich fand es auch sehr interessant und ich glaube es auch für, für die Zuschauer besser oder Zuhörer, muss man ja beim Podcast sagen, ähm, sonst überfordert man sie auch mit dem Englischen wahrscheinlich, so wie uns, ist es, man muss sich ja doch ein bisschen mehr konzentrieren. Ähm, ja, und ich fand es auch sehr beeindruckend, was die College-Spieler, die am Ende des Tages immer noch Studenten sind, dass äh, die wirklich eine sieben Tage Baseballwoche haben und teilweise sogar mit dem Flugzeug zu Auswärtsspielen fliegen. Also das fand ich wirklich, ja, impressive, habe ich jetzt gelernt. <lacht> Sehr schön. Ja, das stimmt auf jeden Fall. Ähm, da waren ein paar total spannende Sachen bei. Ähm, interessant war auch, äh, da gab's, haben wir über Intersquad-Matches äh, gesprochen und dann so ein bisschen, wie man da den Druck aufrecht erhält und die Idee, eine Videokamera aufzustellen und das, die, die ganze Vorbereitungssaison, also er hat da über den Herbst da gesprochen, ähm, kann man den Leuten halt am Ende zeigen, ey, hier, hier und hier hast du nicht gehasselt. Ja, auf jeden Fall. Also ähm, ich habe das ja nicht ganz ohne Grund gefragt, ähm, weil uns, glaube ich, immer so ein bisschen, klar, so ein paar äh, Prozent fehlen dir immer, aber ich glaube, dass, dass es einfach eine gute Idee ist. Und gerade in, in Hamburg haben wir die Möglichkeit, äh, mit Silas TV die Kameras einfach anzumachen während des Trainings, ähm, eine Hauptkamera. Und ich glaube, da äh, können wir noch, aber das ist Baseball und dafür, finde ich, wollten wir auch diesen Podcast machen, weil man lernt nie aus und das sind so Kleinigkeiten, wo wir einfach besser werden, indem man einfach ein bisschen über Baseball quatscht. Und ich glaube, du hast es auch im Podcast gesagt, it can be so simple, ne? Und ja, ja so sieht's aus. Ja, genau. Was ich auch total spannend war, war, äh, fand, war, 
die Tatsache, dass wenn sie einen Intersport spielen und nur ein paar Innings spielen können, also nicht ein ganzes Spiel, dass die eben nicht Innings 1, 2, 3 spielen, die ja immer so, naja, ist halt der Anfang vom Spiel, sondern das Scoreboard anmachen und dann Innings 7, 8, 9 spielen, um da einfach eine andere Drucksituation zu erzeugen. Und das war auch, das ist auch so eine ganz, so eine einfache, aber total geniale Idee. Ja, total. Ähm, Finde ich auch. Man darf halt immer nicht bei der ganzen Geschichte vergessen, äh, wenn man halt äh, ja, auf, so, auf der University of San Francisco ist und die Leute da wirklich 70.000 70 Dollar im Jahr bezahlen. Ich glaube, da gibst du auch noch mal ein bisschen anders Gas bei jedem Intersquad, als wenn du äh, jetzt, sage ich mal, in der Bundesliga in Deutschland spielst und da einen Acht-Stunden-Job hinter dir hattest. Aber ähm, ja, ich finde es auch total interessant, total cool. Und eine Menge gute Informationen für Spieler als auch Trainer. Ne? Das, das äh, fand ich Absolut. an dem Interview bisher super. Und ähm, ja, im zweiten Part werden wir noch ein bisschen darüber sprechen, wie seine Philosophie aussieht, ähm, seine Trainingsphilosophie, wie der Leute ans College rekrutiert und scoutet. Ja. Ähm, ich finde, das war, wird auch für Spieler interessant sein, die vielleicht ans College wollen. Ähm, auch seine Tipps mit dem Junior College fand ich äh, sehr interessant und gut ähm, und gleichzeitig so ein bisschen auch für uns Trainer, worauf er nochmal achtet, der wird ja auch äh, gute Tipps bekommen haben, der hat er ja nicht selber erfunden. Ähm, von daher, ja, habe ich jetzt schon Lust, mir die nächste Folge äh, anzuhören. Ja, in der Tat, also vor allem, wenn man, wie gesagt, bedenkt, dass er ja inzwischen wirklich bei University of San Francisco ist, was jetzt keine, also das ist keine kleine Puppe. Uni, sondern das ist ein richtig gestandenes äh, äh, ja, Uni, it's a University, Nein, es ist nicht mal nur noch ein College. Ne? Ja. ja, und ähm, ich fand unsere Kids-Fragen, die im zweiten Teil auch kommen, fand ich echt super, ähm, weil die sich echt gute Gedanken gemacht haben. Also, ähm, und er hat auch tolle Antworten gegeben und da sind wir auch eigentlich beim Stichwort, wenn ihr auch noch mal Fragen habt, liebe Zuhörer, egal ob nur Akademiespieler oder auch äh, andere Spieler oder Trainer, Könnt ihr uns gerne eine Nachricht bei Facebook schicken oder bei Instagram. Einfach Elba Akademie eingeben beim Suchen. Und äh, dann werden wir die Fragen auf jeden Fall mit einfließen lassen. Weil ähm, ja, den Podcast machen wir hauptsächlich für euch. Genau. Und dann, bevor wir zum Abschluss kommen äh, von Teil 1, einmal wieder Danke an unsere Unterstützer. Das ist einmal JD, der uns mit dem Intro geholfen hat. Und dann Kevin McLeod, der das äh, Lied äh, komponiert hat, was wir benutzen. In diesem Sinne, bleibt gesund und bis zum nächsten Mal. Genau, bis dann. Ciao.